continue on. Glad some of you got into some good conversations. Some of you might have had terrible conversations too. I admit, I admit that. <laughs> good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here. <laughs> Welcome. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome. We're really, we're really glad for you to be a part of our community this morning. And uh, like Pastor Michael said, it's, it takes a lot to come for maybe the first few times. So please hope you feel welcome. The Mill City folks really love to, to host new folks who are checking it out. So thank you for coming. Let's pray together before we look into God's word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome you to this place. God, we believe that you have inhabited our praises this morning as we've sung these songs of worship to you. Even if we don't understand all of that, God, we believe that you are with us. Jesus, we thank you for that promise. God, we pray that your presence, your Holy Spirit, would remain here in this school this week as the kids come back to school, that your presence would make a difference here to the students and the faculty and staff. And God, we thank you so much for the opportunity and the hospitality that Sheridan has shown us to worship here in this school. We don't take it for granted. And so God, we pray that you'd speak to us this morning through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So for 2020, here at Mill City, we are going through the New Testament from beginning to end in 2020. All right, and the reason we're doing that is we've just recognized that this is a year, like many years, where there's going to be a lot of stories, a lot of narratives coming at us, and what if the story and narrative of Jesus is the guiding narrative of our lives? In the midst of all the other stories that we're going to encounter this year, some good, some difficult, some maybe not, not good stories to engage in, I don't know, but what does it look like to say that the story of Jesus is really the guiding story for all of us as we join into what God's doing in the world and God's invitation in our life? And so we've gone through Matthew and Mark, and now we're in the last week of Luke. I know it's been going fast. We've encouraged people to read along with us. And so on our website, millcitychurch.com slash NT2020, you can see a reading list. Some people are right on schedule, and some people meant to start. You can still start. Um, in fact, next week, I'm going to give you the catch-up list, okay? So some of you are like, oh, I need that. I need the catch-up list. So then you'll be catching up because we're going to start in John, and we're going to go through John through all of Lent. And so we're in the book of Luke, and since we only spent two weeks in Luke, which I realize is not enough to do it justice, but uh, last week, Pastor, Mike, or Pastor J.D. was here from North City Church, and he shared about the theme of purpose and mission in the book of Luke. And today, we're going to look at another theme in the book of Luke. And what we're doing by calling it lenses is we're saying we're looking at this theme as this lens, at this lens, at the story, but then letting ourselves look through that same lens at our life. Maybe God is inviting us into a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of seeing God, a new way of seeing the world that God loves. And these stories give us a chance to see what kind of lens might we look through. So today, we're going to look at a very deep theme in Luke that's actually a deep th theme throughout the whole story of God, the entire meta-narrative we might call it, and that is the theme of blessing. Blessing. Okay, so blessing, being blessed, hashtag blessed. It's very, very much of a cultural phenomenon. I don't know if you guys have noticed, as people noticed, the cultural phenomenon is kind of fascinating these days. Um, I brought some pictures. You can see hashtag blessed. You can get it on a mug. You can get it on a tumbler. You can get it on whatever you want. If you Google blessed in Target on the target.com, you will find over 300 items that include the word blessed, including some T-shirts, some um, really cool, you know, workout tank tops, things like that, and even a protein powder called blessed plant-based protein powder. Not kidding you. And, and, and of course, in our culture, it's very common in dominant cultures in the United States to say, bless you when somebody sneezes. 
However, you can find a whole bunch of online forums where uh, people who are not religious are trying to figure out other things to say when someone sneezes, including like Gesundheit or something like that, which is German. So um, that's happening. And then my favorite cultural reality around the concept of blessed is the phrase, bless their heart. Okay, because I'm pretty sure that bless their heart is the prefix for being able to say whatever you want about somebody after that, right? So it's like, oh, bless her heart. That dress, it looks like someone 20 years older than her should be wearing that. Mm, bless her heart. Blow, bless his heart. Doesn't he realize that she is way out of his league? Right, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so it's kind of, I kind of think about the cultural phenomenon of the word blessed or blessing, and I just think like, yikes. <laughs> We've got a pretty strange intersection between our culture and what we think about and what we care about and uh, the, the concept of blessing. I'm calling this a, uh, we're swimming around in a strange cultural intersection around this pretty deep concept that's putting on t-shirts and stuff. And what's so interesting is if you look in the first century, in the Jewish tradition that Jesus was from, there was a pretty strange cultural intersection happening with the concept back then too. Look at that, 2,000 years ago, here we are today, having this weird intersection with this concept. It would be very common for teachers or rabbis, Jewish rabbis, to have what they called their uh, collection of blessings, collection of blessings. And this came from scriptures like um, one of the longest psalms, which is Psalm 119. I'll put it on the screen. It starts like this. Blessed are those who are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no, no wrong, but follow his ways. But here's where the cultural intersection happened. People would add their own blessings to the list, okay? Not blessings that were in the Old Testament. They would just add their own. And their own blessings seemed to mirror the culture at the time. So I actually have two examples of a, of a, a rabbi that was just maybe 100 years before Jesus was born where he was saying this phrase. This is one of his collections of blessings. Blessed are those who don't have to serve those who are inferior to them. Blessed is the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Jewish rabbi, 100 years before Jesus. And this was very popular. So most likely people in first century, when Jesus is walking the earth, they knew this. They knew of this. It was a popular thing. They, they had heard these exact blessing lists read, this collection of blessings. So here we go. Little exercise. Imagine with me that a collection of blessings was going to be written right now here in 2020 in the United States, and it was going to represent what blessing means in our culture, not the protein powder, but it may be just taken a little bit deeper, right? What does blessing mean? So here's my list of, uh, listen and see if you agree, maybe you'd add something or change something, but here's my list of collection of blessings 2020 AD, okay? Blessed are the people who got a good return on their investment last year, for they are financially secure. Best are the, blessed are the intelligent, for they will have multiple degrees and multiple job options. Blessed are the people who married up, for they will be relationally satisfied. We all know that one's true. Blessed are the healthy, for they will have energy and accomplish much. Blessed are those with job security, for they will have stability. Blessed are the parents who have successful children, for they will not need to worry about the future. Right? What do you feel when you read this collection of blessings? Do you kind of resonate with the, the cultural reality of that? Does it seem accurate to say that this is what many people would say blessed looks like? Not if you're with me. Yeah, maybe you'd change it a, a couple things. And honestly, I look at these things and I say, this sounds great, right? <laughs> Sign me up for that. That sounds awesome, honestly. And so if you were to take a definition of blessing and plop it from these things that we just read into today, I think the definition would be something like this. Stability, security, and success for the healthy, wealthy, and wise. 
Stability, security, and success for the healthy, wealthy, and wise. I think that this list of collection of blessings would probably give us that impression. But when we engage this topic of blessing through this story, through God's story, we find something totally different. When we look at the book of Luke and how this story is kind of sewn throughout the whole book, the whole writing of Luke, this gospel, I think we're going to find that this cultural collection of blessings that we have right now is almost entirely missing the point. I think we'd also find that something is so much more deep than what we're seeing here. I think I'd go so far as to say if blessed lives look like this list, then we're actually in danger of missing out on what God's actually trying to do. Because I think it's true that this deep concept of blessing is something that is more significant, more profound, more powerful than security and success and stability. I think that's something that God is offering. And I actually also think that this deep concept of blessing from God might actually be what we need to see ourselves through the seasons of life where hashtag blessed is not really doing it for us. And I know we've all been in those seasons. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Jesus, uh, we're going to look at the story, the big story, and then we're going to look at the book of Luke. And then we're going to look at Jesus as a rabbi, his own collection of blessings that he's given. And then I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that he's going to talk about these blessings in a pretty provocative way. And then he extends an invitation. And his invitation to join into this blessing, I have to say, is not an invitation that anyone would have expected him to offer. And so as we look at this today, we're going to look at the lens of blessing, uh, this definition of blessing that we're going to look at together according to God's story. And when you look at the, the big God story as we talk about it with our kids, we see in this whole story, this concept is there right away from the beginning all the way to the end. And similarly in the book of Luke, right from the beginning all the way to the end, almost sewn through there. So God creates humans. What does he do after he creates them? It says he blesses them. Noah is blessed. Abraham is blessed by God to bless the whole world. We just read about that in Psalms. And then we hear it right away in Luke. Right away in Luke chapter 1. You can pull out a Bible if you want, but let me just tell you what's, what happens right away. Uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, of course, finds out that she's pregnant with Jesus. And her relative Elizabeth is pregnant with who would become John the Baptist after he's born. Mary and Elizabeth greet each other and John, little baby, baby John, jumps up in Elizabeth's stomach because he's so excited to hear Mary's voice. And then it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And then it says that Mary starts singing. The song that uh, over on Christmas time, we often just call it Mary's song. And part of the song is, from now all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, his holy name. And you're blessed because I did not actually sing that, but I just read it. And then on the eighth day of baby Jesus' life, he's brought to the temple for everything required by the law. And uh, he comes in and it says that the Holy Spirit was on a man named Simeon. And Simeon sees the infant Jesus. And it says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and that he blesses Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. There it is again. He blesses this little family. So we fast forward and Jesus grows up and he begins his ministry. And right as his ministry is starting is where we're going to look at this today. We see him dig into this concept of blessing really deep. And so we're going to be looking at Luke 6. So if you still have your phone out, now's when you stop doing whatever else and you move to the Bible app. Or we'll have it up here on the screen or in your Bible, Luke 6, 17 through 31. Now I'm going to go through it kind of chunk by chunk. So you want to keep your finger in that part of scripture. And as we go through, what I want us to pay attention to are the, the steps that Jesus invites us into 
to be able to be people who look at our lives through this lens of blessing, the invitation for us. Okay, so I would say the first step that we're going to see is redefining blessing. We need to redefine blessing as we've come to understand it today. Because I think the protein powder and the tank tops are not really working for us. So what is the redefinition of blessing? Um, so I, I, I want you to wonder about that. Wonder as we read this story. If it's not stability, security, success for the healthy, wealthy, and wise, then what is it? All right, so listen to what Jesus, what happens with Jesus right here at the beginning. I'm going to read starting in verse 17. So Jesus, it says, he went down with them, with some of his disciples he had just called, and he stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him, they traveled a long way, to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him. Just imagine that. The people all were reaching out and trying to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Let me stop there for a second. So it says that Jesus comes down from a mountain with his disciples, and he comes into a level place. And so he's about to start speaking, and what we've come to call this sermon is the sermon on the level place, or the sermon on the plain. You might have heard the sermon on the mount. This is the sermon on the plain, okay? And so we're about to hear from him, but what has just happened before he starts teaching is super important. Pro tip, when you're reading through scripture, look at what's happening before and after to give you context as to some of the depth of meaning of what might be being said. So right before here, we've got people coming from far and wide. They're reaching out, trying to touch him. Imagine these crowds, people with physical disabilities, people with impure spirits, people who are not okay on a number of levels are crowding in from all over the place. And the text says that he healed them all. When was the last time that you were desperate for healing from Jesus? Maybe physically, maybe emotionally, spiritually, when you felt that sense of, I need healing, your heart turned desperately towards God. These people are desperate. They're trying to figure out what to do, and they don't know, and they've heard that this guy, if you could get near him, you just might be healed, and so they come. It says he heals them all, and then he begins the sermon on the plane. Not a plane overhead, if anyone's confused, like flat right? This is what he says. It says in verse 20, looking at his disciples, so he's got this crowd here, but he looks right at these followers of his, and he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of him. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. All right, remember, people would have heard a collection of blessings like this from another rabbi. Those, those blessings I read earlier were actually famous ones. Blessed are those who don't have to serve those who are inferior to them. Blessed are those who, the man who lives to see the downfall of his foes. Those would have been scripts in the minds of the people who were gathered there that day. And so when Jesus reads this collection of blessings, blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the insulted, the rejected, people would have been listening and they would have been like jolted. They would have thought this is bizarre. They I bet they would have thought, I think this guy is doing it wrong. Something about this is not quite right. They had become so familiar with something that had become so common to them that this would be so strange to hear it in what I think we could suggest is almost an opposite way, right? 
And so Jesus is taking this concept of a collection of blessing, a very common thing in the history of his people, the Jewish community, and he's flipping it on its head. If you've been reading with us, you'll notice Jesus does the flipping it on its head thing a lot. That's kind of part of his mode of operation. He flips it on his head like he so often does, and he says, this is something completely different than you imagine. So then let's, let's say, how do we define it? If, if it's not what we said earlier, if it's not, if it's not as easy as just putting it on a t-shirt or something like that, if it isn't stability, security, success for the healthy, wealthy, and wise, then how would we define it? So I'm just going to give you my best stab at it based on what we see in the overarching scripture and then in the book of Luke. I'm going to say that blessing is empowerment from God in the form of spiritual and or potentially material resources. Empowerment from God in the form of spiritual or perhaps physical material resources. And here is an important caveat. It's always intended to be multiplied. A blessing from God is always intended to be multiplied. And so if we wanted to just simplify the definition for real, I think the best definition that we could use, either empowerment or we could say more of God. More of God. To be blessed is that you have more of God. More of God in your life, turns out, doesn't always mean or maybe even often means security or safety. More of God for Abraham, one of those first people who were blessed, meant that he left everything that was secure in his life. That was the, the invitation in Genesis 13. It says, go from your country, your people, your father's household, and I will bless you. What does that mean? Leave your inheritance and your security, and your familiarity behind, and trust me, and I will empower you, and then what? I will empower you to empower the world. It doesn't end with him, right? More of God for Mary meant deep cultural shame, didn't it? More of God for Mary meant eventually watching her son murdered in front of her eyes. But here it says that she took on this incredible burden but was blessed, empowered by the Holy Spirit to raise the Savior of the world. Does it make sense to be Mary without the blessing and empowerment of the Holy Spirit? No one can do that without the Holy Spirit. More of God is not merely about the things that God gives. More of God looks like the Holy Spirit empowering us through wisdom, like we saw with Elizabeth and, and Mary and Simeon, right? It says the Holy Spirit in each one of those stories. The Holy Spirit comes on them, gives them wisdom, some of you have experienced that, God giving you wisdom that you know is beyond yourself. And yes, I think we can say that God gives us material resources. It's a blessing when we have what we need, isn't it? But here is that part that's so important. It's not meant to remain with the blessee. It's always supposed to be passed on. God blesses Abraham to be a blessing to the whole world. He blesses one in order to multiply and bless a ton. All right, so new rhyme. We're not going to say blessed to be a blessing anymore. We're going to say blessed one to bless a ton. That one's terrible too, isn't it? Okay, maybe we won't. We won't say that. But God blessed one in order to bless many. You see that over and over and over again in the story. God blesses one in order to bless many. So here is something important for us to hold on to. If what we're experiencing in our lives is truly a blessing, that we might call it in our normal vernacular, if what we're experiencing in our life is a blessing from God, it is not to end with us. It is intended to spread and multiply. Not occasionally, every time. If it is a blessing from God, an empowerment from the God of the universe, it is not meant to stay with us, but to overflow out of our lives and to be passed on. That is the definition of blessing. 
That's what kingdom blessing does. It multiplies. So perhaps if it's a good thing, that's great. But if it's a blessing, then it's going to be multiplied. Good things and blessings aren't the same. And being empowered by God leads us into territory that doesn't always seem stable. Some of you know about this. For instance, the generosity that tends to follow true blessing from God does not look like a good idea sometimes to people in the world, does it? It does not look stable to give away that much money. It doesn't seem wise all the time to give of your time in areas with people who can't do anything back for you. It's just not going to look like the definition of blessing we see in the world sometimes. So first we have to redefine blessing. So I'm redefining it, at least for today, as empowerment from God through resources intended to be multiplied. So let's continue on in this sermon. Okay, so in Luke 6, 24, this is how Jesus continues on. He's given his, his collection of blessings, and then he does something a little bit different. Here he goes. He says, but woe to you who are rich. Now, before I go on, I want to say, woe, a woe is not a curse. So when you hear of blessings and curses, this is not the same thing. A woe is an expression of sadness, of sorrow, and of warning. Okay? So Jesus isn't cursing anybody. In fact, in the next paragraph, the word curse is used. Jesus is, uh, I would say, he's coming to these people and he's not cursing them. He is offering a warning from his broken heart to the people who need to hear the depth of what may happen. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to the rich, to the well-fed, to those already laughing, to those where people already speak well of them. So to sum it up, I think if we were going to just sum up what's happening here, Jesus is saying this. Blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are the hungry, woe to the full. Blessed are the weeping, woe to the laughing. Blessed are the rejected, woe to the accepted. Now you have to admit, if you're hearing this back then, just like when we read it right now, doesn't it not quite seem right? Something seems a little off. I'm sure that those who had come, become familiar with those Jewish collections of blessings were just confused a little bit, maybe. These blessings had always been about the healthy, wealthy, and wise. And here Jesus is saying the blessed are the poor and the hungry and the despised. So for those who are listening, it seems like they would think this is not what we're used to hearing. But can I also ask the question, let's imagine together what else would they be feeling and thinking as Jesus turned this concept on its head? Perhaps they would say this is the most hopeful collection of blessings that they had ever heard. Why? Because these people aren't rich. They are hungry. These people have been weeping. They had come from far and wide for healing. In the first century, if you had a physical ailment or something like the spiritual manifestation, it is nearly every time that you are also physically poor. You are ostracized from your community. These people were desperate for Jesus. They aren't the healthy, wealthy, and wise. These are people who hear this collection of blessings and they're so encouraged because they would be thinking, wait, 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 we're blessed? Because we've literally had people tell us that we're cursed. And here Jesus is telling them that they are blessed even in the midst of their pain, even in the midst of their suffering. This narrative shows that these folks are already in the position of needing help. They've already turned to Jesus. 
they are grasping at Jesus, just hoping that something would change their circumstance. They are not people who have positions of power. They're not the folks that someone would come, from, come to to get spiritual advice. Most likely, they don't have any status in society, very little if they had any at all from the beginning. Most of them were quarantined, banished from their homes because people were so afraid that you could just catch anything from each other. And Jesus says to them, yours is the kingdom. Why does he say that to them? I think it's kind of obvious when you think about it because here he is saying the kingdom of God has come through me and here they are, they're already in line. They're the first in line, ready to receive it. Jesus doesn't say that the healthy, wealthy, and wise can't receive the kingdom. That's not what he says. But he says, whoa, I am sad and I am warning you that the rich won't see their need for my kingdom at least not very easily. And I will be the first to admit that when I'm feeling healthy, wealthy, and wise, those are relative terms, but when I am feeling healthy, wealthy, and wise, I don't turn to Jesus. I don't feel a desperate sense that I need to, to cry out to God. It's so easy for me to believe the lie that I can meet my own needs. I don't find myself praying to Jesus. I don't find myself praying, Jesus, may your kingdom come and your will be done. I'm kind of like, Jesus, my little kingdom is awesome. Help me not to lose it. But when I am in a part of my life, a season where I feel broken, which I have felt, or I'm experiencing suffering, or if I am afraid that I don't have enough, I find myself turning to Jesus all the time. It's so much easier in those times to see why God's kingdom is so much greater than those little kingdoms. Some of you resonate with that, those different parts of your life and the need for Jesus that you feel in your weakness. Because it's not from strength that we tend to turn to God for blessing. It's from weakness, isn't it? And that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying something prescriptive. He's saying something descriptive. So he's not saying, hey, if you're rich, you better try to figure out how to get poor. He's not saying that. He's saying this is just the reality of the situation. This is not a list of things to do so that Jesus will bless you, right? Like, ooh, Jesus is coming. Look sad. Cry, 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 cry. Like, that's not, that's not what's <laughs> happening here. These are not what scholars would call performative. So performative meaning like God, Jesus isn't saying, I'd like you to perform rejection. Please perform hunger. Like fasting might be a good spiritual discipline, but this is not what Jesus is inviting. He's just saying this is the reality. If you believe that you can meet your own needs, you won't turn to God very easily. And blessing is more of God. So if you don't turn to God very easily, you're not gonna get more of God, thus woe to you. So if we let Jesus help us redefine blessing, then the second invitation I think is pretty clear, to re-engage and to join in blessing. The third one's going to start with an R2, so just be ready. All right, so re-engage. How do we re-engage? I think first we have to stop believing this collection of blessings that's determined by these little kingdoms, and at least believe that those are the be-all and end-all. It's not necessarily wrong to hope for those things, but to believe that those are having arrived, that we have the goals are those, that list of cultural blessings that I said. When we start living into this redefinition, it's not that we should try to figure out how to be poor if we have means, but we should be people who say, the blessing should never stop with me, right? And if we are people who feel that we're in physical, emotional, or spiritual poverty today, which I know some of you feel that's where you're at, then Jesus says to you, you are blessed. I am with you, and there's more of me for you if you keep turning to me. Someday the hungry days will be over. Someday the weeping days will be over. If you are somebody who's experienced being ostracized or rejected by maybe even your own family members, 
Maybe you feel on the outside when it comes to your workplace or your school. Jesus says to you, take heart, I am with you, I will bless you, and my love is so much deeper and such a greater reward than a million humans affirming you and who you are. I know it's not easy to believe this in the midst of the suffering if that's where you are today, and I bet it wasn't very easy for those people back then either. Can you imagine what it felt like for them to listen to Jesus and try to believe this? But I think Jesus actually does want us to take him seriously here. So Jesus starts this sermon with a pretty big, pretty big paradigm shift, and then the sermon goes on, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to look at just one part right after he says these blessings and woes, because I think you're going to see an invitation to re-engage blessing here. So starting in verse 27, just this first part of the Sermon on the Plain. But to you who are listening, I say, so if you're still listening to me after I just blew up your brain up, if you're still listening to me, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Man, here's a summary of these things. Put the summary up here. Blessing for those who curse you, praying for your enemies, choosing not to retaliate, being generous with other people, even if they don't deserve it. This is how Jesus invites us to re-engage being people of blessing in the world that God loves. Man, I hear this, I'm like, bless those who curse you? I'm like, are you cursing me? Because bless your heart, I'm about to curse you back. Like, that's, that's actually how I feel sometimes. If I'm being honest, pray for your enemies. I want to say, uh, okay, so praying for them, technically, what can we pray? Because can we pray that their lives are miserable or no? Is that off limits? Can we do that? I don't know. But you said to pray, but, but wait, what is blessing? More of God, more of Jesus. Perhaps that is the most productive prayer we can pray for someone who has hurt us. More of God in their life. So when we feel tempted to say, when we hear somebody say something online or somewhere and think, oh, what an idiot, right? We're so tempted to say this kind of stuff. Or, oh man, that person and the way that they're doing that, oh, they're so stupid. I mean, it's not that far off from a curse, is it? How about that person at work that makes you feel less than Sometimes we're not that too far from actually cursing, honestly. So I think this leads us to something really important, and that is the third step, and that is kind of like Pastor J.D. said last week, we can't actually do this except with the Holy Spirit. You see the Holy Spirit in this entire story, and, and it's this reality that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to redefine blessing, re-engage and join in the blessing, and rely on the Holy Spirit for strength, to be a person of blessing and not a person of curses. To be a person who maybe offers woes to God or even warnings to other people who are being hurtful, but not curses. Without the Holy Spirit, I don't think we can do it. I wanna finish with a, a story of an experience that I had that I would say is where I was the most challenged in my whole life with this concept of what Jesus is inviting us into. Uh, some of you know this story because you were there. A few years ago, I bought a house, and it's the one that I live in now. It's a huge privilege to buy a house, man. Talk about having amazing means. And, and I bought this house, and I couldn't move into it for a month, so I did what seemed logical, and I put it on Airbnb, okay? And somebody said, I'll take it for a whole month. And then when I went to greet the guests who said they would take it for the whole month, it was not the guest I had spoken to through the Airbnb app. It was another person. 
who this person had sublet my house to illegally, who had been formerly homeless, a woman and her little boy. And what happened when I figured out what was going on is that this young woman, while she was living there in my house, I tried to confront the fact that this isn't exactly how it's supposed to go. And somehow I got caught in this crossfire because the woman who had taken her money didn't give it to me. And so she wanted her money back. And I got caught in the crossfire of all of this. Oh my goodness, I have never had more terrible things said about me in a short period of time than when I was caught in the crossfire of these two women. Oh my goodness, because they were upset and they were angry. Well, I was upset and I was angry. And I'm not proud of all the things I said during that time, if I'm completely honest with you. But I can't explain this besides the Holy Spirit. I, I felt like God gave me the strength to do everything I could to try to figure out how to support this young mom while at the same time requesting that she does eventually move out of my house, okay? And, and I mean, in these times, I wondered, okay, Jesus, all right, about this whole if somebody takes something from you thing. What if it's a whole house? Were you serious about that? Because it's a whole house. Okay, this is exactly how I felt. In the midst of this argument going back and forth, the woman who had illegally sublet called the police on this young mom and her child. She calls me hysterical, crying. I show up and I say to the police, this woman has done nothing wrong. She is under the assumption that she could stay here legally and I really think you need to leave her alone. She's fine. And so she, she's in my arms weeping. I'm going, what is happening right now? And she goes back into the house. And I will say that uh, many other things happened, um, but as the days went on, I got a phone call from this young woman 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday, and she said, we've moved out. And I said, wait a second, because I know the shelters aren't open. I said, wait a second, what do you mean you moved out? She's like, we're going to sleep in the car. I said, no, no, please. And I begged her to go back in the house. She said, we locked ourselves out. I'm so sorry that this happened to you. It's not your fault. Like, this, this is between me and this other woman. And so I hung up the phone, and I was shocked. And I, this doesn't happen to me every day. But the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me, and I just called her right back, and I said, tomorrow morning, come to Mill City Church. There'll be people there. They know about the housing system. I, I'll, they'll bring you some gift cards. I don't know who's going to bring gift cards. They'll bring you some gift cards. Come tomorrow. And I hung up. I sent some texts to some of you here in this room, and she showed up the next day with her son. They got some gift cards. They got housed. They stayed connected with Mill City for a while until they moved back to another city, joined a missional community. I'm not joking about this. This actually happened. And I look at all of this and I say, how did this happen? Does that make sense besides the Holy Spirit? It does not make sense. It doesn't make sense except that people in our community and reluctantly, very reluctantly, myself, were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do something that I'm positive we wouldn't have done on our own. Positive. I wouldn't have chosen blessing. I wouldn't have chosen blessing in this scenario on my own. I wouldn't have. Blessing is empowerment that doesn't end with you. It's always passed on. I'll invite the band to come back up. I just want to close this book of Luke by saying the very last thing that Jesus does in the book of Luke, the very last thing recorded is that he comes back, he shows himself to his disciples. They're scared. He shows them his, his scars to prove that it's him. And then he says to them, I'm going to empower you to share forgiveness and salvation and freedom with the whole world. It's going to be multiplied. It's going to be sent out through you. And then the last thing he does before he leaves them on earth, he says, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then he blessed them. The last thing Jesus does, according to Luke, is he blessed them. And then it goes on into the book of Acts, which is also written by Luke. We'll get there this year. And we see that the blessing of the Holy Spirit changes everything. And I offer that same thing to you today. The blessing of the Holy Spirit changes everything. 
and you get to decide if that's a conscious dependence, a conscious reliance on the Holy Spirit that you want to have in your life or not. The Holy Spirit coming in our life changes everything. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, right now, we just ask that you would fall on this place. We think about these challenging words, Jesus, and we, we can't. We can't accept them on our own strength. We can't be people who multiply blessing. We can't be people who accept that we're blessed when we're suffering without you. May your Holy Spirit come into our lives and show us that you took everything necessary with you on that cross so that we could live as people who know that someday there will be no more crying and there will be no more hunger and there will be no more struggle for you will make all things new. And the end of this story is the ultimate blessing, the full experience of you, God. Give us strength as we wait for that day. 